Welcome to the Keys of the Kingdom with Brother Gregory of His Holy Church. Well, welcome to Keys of the Kingdom. I'm Brother Gregory, and we're going to be talking about the Kingdom of God again. And uh, I was going to make a little bit of a correction in one of our... uh, Shows, uh, back on the 18th, uh, about five minutes in, I was talking about the parliamentary elections of South Africa. And yes, uh, somehow I didn't quite make it as clear. I wasn't trying to go into great detail about, uh, how their government functions, but, uh, parliamentary systems often, if you elect a particular party head, he reorganizes the entire government. England does this. Uh, you see some of this in Canada, although Canada has these provinces and the provinces have certain authority, much like the states used to have in the United States. The, many things were decided on a state level rather than on a congressional level at the uh, federal government. But, uh, central, you know, since power corrupts, uh, what happens is that if you create offices of power, those offices will consolidate that power more and more. And because what you're really doing when you're creating an office of power is you're centralizing the power of the individual. You're, you're giving some, you, you have X amount of authority to make choices in your life. If you give some of that authority to somebody else, you no longer have that authority. You've given it to somebody else. If you allow them to create debt on your behalf, if you allow them to create agreements on your behalf, such as, you know, treaties, uh, debt is even more damaging, but treaties can be damaging. And what happens is that you've centralized power in the hands of a few from the many, and they will centralize that power as well. It is, you've got, you've let the camel in the tent and let his nose in the tent and before you know it, the whole camel's going to be in there. And so, uh, yes, the, the parliamentary government in South Africa, it runs much like that, but they are having a vote. Now, I thought it was around uh, in August, although there's different, uh, you know, it comes up at different times. And uh, if they get 66% majority vote, they can amend their constitution. And uh, the idea is that they want to have more local rule and they also don't want to have to become a party in order to have that. I don't know whether that will succeed if there's enough factions that see the advantage because this is what you have. You either have the centralization of power or you break up in a tribal approach where that power becomes uh, centralized locally, and but you still have a dictatorship, but you have it on a local basis. It is the creation of powers of office, uh, offices of power that is the problem. And why would you do that? Well, it's because you don't want to take back your responsibilities. You want somebody else to be responsible for doing something. This is exactly what was happening. We get a very limited explanation, but it's clear enough to understand the process. 
in Samuel 8, where the people saw corruption, where people were, through their appeals courts, their cities of refuge, which were appeals courts, there were people getting off or being released or exonerated or protected because of uh, bribes. They were giving bribes to people high up and they were getting away with things that were unjust. And so they wanted to have a king to straighten out that corruption. Well, they could have done that through the tens, hundreds, and thousands, but they would have had to daily attend to the weightier matters of law, judgment, mercy, and faith. It would have taken more time, more energy, uh, more attentiveness, and they could have dealt with those issues of corruption. But they chose to turn over that power to somebody else and... That was what they call having a king. That's what you did with the Constitution. The states and the individuals in America could have solved some of the problems that were with the Articles of Confederation. But instead, somebody came up with the idea of scrapping the whole thing and writing the Constitution of the United States. And we have shown many, many times that the Constitution of the United States is missing uh, numerous items that the Bible tells you you must put in a constitution. It's in Deuteronomy and that you must put in a constitution uh, in order to be, you know, a godly constitution, based a biblical constitution. And the, of those items, four or five different items, only one of them shows up in the constitution and the people have become so degenerated that they don't even attend to that one issue that is actually included in the Constitution. What the Constitution does allow is your right to contract, and your right to contract has gotten you into a lot of trouble because you have contracted with institutions that are created by the government, either directly or indirectly, and those contracts have caused you to, you know, become merchandise, to curse your children with the debt because you and your children are a surety for the debt of the United States and that debt is growing exponentially and you know it's just a matter of historical record I spent a, a certain amount of time in the last couple of days I had to be here for yesterday and I, I did a lot of reading on uh, what they call the intellectual dark web and uh, I looked at a lot of different opinions that people have about the problem, whatever the problem is, and the solution, whatever the solution is. And if you don't identify the problem, you aren't going to identify the solution. And it is the blind leading the blind. Now, there was an article originally that drew my attention that was asking, is the uh, intellectual dark web collapsing? And uh, they they were immediately thinking, uh, some people were suggesting anyway, that we needed to... Uh, get the intellectual dark web uh, uh, more focused by creating certain parameters. You can't get into that uh, electronic network without uh, uh, passing some sort of uh, qualification standards or something to get the people more focused. Well, the reality is that that's not going to work either. And we've, we've seen the same temptation where you... Because we have... You know, the uh, Kingdom Network, which is the, uh, or just network, 
it's not really kingdom yet. It's just based on geographical areas where you can join an email group based on that geographical area. We don't have all the itemization of topics and all those kinds of things that you go because it's really not a debate forum. The idea is to get people locally connected and talking about these issues. Uh, people talk to their ministers. Their ministers talk to me. I put stuff out. You can put stuff out at Preparing You. You can create web pages. Use Facebook. You can use Intellectual Dark Web. And promote ideas and discuss them in all those locations. But the purpose of our network is simply to get people connected on a local basis in a process that would be at least uh, remotely described as seeking the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Most of the people that I was looking at, I can't say most of the people on the intellectual dark web, uh, but most of the people I looked at really are blind guides. They don't see the big picture. They're looking, I mean, some of them don't see any kind of a picture whatsoever. They're very tunnel vision. Others see a lot of stuff that they learned in school, high school, college. And we've already written articles uh, over and over again showing how the education of the average American has been altered by design. And uh, it, it has affected the way we look at things like the Constitution. And so you have, we have, we've looked in these, this series on structure at, uh, uh, and we'll probably revisit some of those things in greater detail, you know, people attempting to write different constitutions. And again, in almost every case, I see a lack of vision of the bigger picture. Uh, sometimes a good heart is involved and good intentions are involved, but they don't see the long range ramifications of what they are suggesting and they they can't really put their plans into a proper uh, model so that they can see them play out and that's one of the things with this whole global warming issue if you you look at these computer models everybody has such faith in computer models Every single one of the computer models that predict global warming have failed over the last five or ten years. They, their predictions are not coming true. The opposite, in many cases, is happening. And certainly not the global warming that they have suggested. So what's happening? The, the models are, are faulty. They are inaccurate, and there is a lot of evidence that they have fudged uh, the data going into the models as well as the models themselves, the criteria of the models. And so th- this is a problem because people don't really see how it works. Some of the people that are these veritable geniuses in weather have done a remarkable, uh, you know, they have a remarkable history of predicting the weather over the last uh, 20, 30, 40 years, uh, they say that there there is no global warming and that they, the people do not understand the processes. And they seem to be accurate. They have a, a lot of scientific skill, but really they have almost uh, a second nature 
at uh, understanding the values that you need to place on certain parameters in trying to predict the weather. You know, jet streams and ocean currents and the sun are tremendous factors. And predicting what the sun is going to do, almost nobody has been able to do that because we don't understand the factors that affect the sun. But anyway, all that becomes very complicated, but there is, it seems to be kind of a, kind of an intuitive skill in some people to predict the weather. And and some of those people that have manifested that say that the global warming threat is not really uh, a genuine threat. But people somehow or other think that science is a matter of consensus, like it's a democracy. And of course, that's that's a great failing. Uh, a, you know, a, if democracy was our salvation, then it would not have crucified Christ <laughs> because it was a minority who followed Christ. Even in Judea, it was a minority who followed Christ. But see, that's the thing in the kingdom. In the kingdom of God, the power of the kingdom is in the hands of the individual. It's not in the hands of collect, collectives. So therefore, democracy is irrelevant. It's about individual rights, individual responsibilities. And that's where you have to go is take it back to that individual responsibility and back to the South African question. I don't know whether South Africa uh, Parliament will vote and allow for individual groups to govern themselves. But, uh and, and it might because of the fact that, that they could become so factional that a lot of small factions think this would be to their advantage. Now, obviously, the central powers don't think it would be to their advantage. But uh if enough of the small factions thought it was, they might get the 66% majority vote that they need to break up the monopoly that Parliament now has, uh, where they can change the whole government simply by electing a party of the majority. We see those battles going on in America where they're trying to outlaw the Electoral College, which was somewhat of a safeguard against that centralization of uh, power by the majority vote. Because if they did away with the Electoral College, the people in uh, Los Angeles and New York would decide all the elections. And the way they think would determine who the president was. The reality is we we live in a much more mysterious universe and uh, majorities do have an effect. But uh, I have an article up that I I actually just stumbled upon this morning when I was looking around. I had opened, uh, was looking for certain things that I had said at one time. And one of them is the uh, mysteries of the universe. You can find it at Preparing You. And it starts off with the universe is divided between light and darkness. But darkness does not exist. It is merely the absence of light. So from one point of view, there is no division. And still from another, there is. So if you follow that and you carry that principle over to your politics, there is righteousness and there is unrighteousness. And unrighteousness is darkness. It is the lack of righteousness. 
So, if you're really seeking the kingdom of God and his righteousness, you do not need a majority. You you don't even need a, a minority. Uh, you, you, you need a small fraction because just a candle will destroy darkness in a room. Uh, there, there's, darkness is pervasive throughout the room because there is no light, but just lighting a candle lightens up the whole room. Now, if you come in from the sunlight and you walk into a room that is only lit with a candle, it will seem very dark, but it is not dark. It is not completely dark because there is light there. And so, that's where you need to go if you want to find a solution to the darkness of the world you don't need a majority vote you need to light a candle you need to become that candle so with that in mind we'll continue with some of the other things that we we're going to talk about today in uh, relationship to structure i also came across just this morning and i've heard him say it before jordan peterson says an act I act as if God exists. And he usually says that when he's asked, do you believe in God? And it, it's kind of a cop-out answer, but there's there's method in his madness. Because he, he fully admits that he he's not willing to give up. At one point in his life, he was becoming an atheist. But he doesn't really believe that. Uh, that he doesn't believe that there is no God. And he says, I act as if God exists. That's, that's really a way of summing up what the whole message of the gospel was. Because Jesus didn't start out, believe in me. He started out with, seek the kingdom of God and his righteousness. You can't actually see God. You can see evidence of God. And of course, the atheist uses the same evidence to prove that, that we use that there is a God. He uses to prove that there is not a God, at least the same evidence in nature. Uh, so it's a question of interpretation. But the reality is, is that seeking the kingdom of God, an unseen God, an unknown God, an unnamed God, because that's the way God was always referred to. He was, we, he was giving the, the name Yadavahe or Yahweh because it means that he's the existing one. And, uh, and so that's, that's what they started calling him, although he's known by many names according to the Testaments. Peterson says he acts as if God exists. That is, that is probably the closest statement to the name of God that you can get, the existing one. He evidently believes enough that God exists that he is going to act according his actions will manifest the fact that God exists, the existing one. He also says, I would never claim to be good, because he was, a, uh, I think, a Prager or somebody in an interview referred to him that he was a good man. And he said, I would never claim to be good. I think it's dangerous. But I did become terrified of how terrible I could be. The best, he, he goes on to say, uh, uh, is to avoid pathways that lead people to the back places that, uh, the dark places, excuse me, the dark places they, they go. And, uh, and so that, anyway, so he talks about his hope of approximating good. Well, Jesus was 
they called Jesus good and said, and he questioned them. Why do you call me good? None is good but God. God is goodness. God is light. God is truth. That whatever God is, he is those things. And Jesus, who probably had a better right to claim to be good, says, why do you call me good? None is good but God. That's, that's very close to the statement. <laughs> Of Jordan Peterson, yet I'm sure people will find all kinds of criticisms of what he is saying. Uh, but he's talking about avoiding the pathways that lead people to dark places uh, that they go. Well, what is the Ten Commandments but guidelines to tell you to avoid the dark places? Don't murder. Don't bear false witness. I mean, that's one of one of Jordan Peterson's twelve uh, rules: is don't lie. Uh, you know, don't all the the thou shalt nots of the Ten Commandments are basically telling you how to avoid the wrong path, the dark places. So again, that that's a very Christian message. Message, although you, I I don't know that you even want to put him in those. Uh, category as, uh, you know, some kind of Christian pastor or minister. But he sometimes hits things much closer than uh, what I'm hearing coming out of some of the more successful so-called Christian preachers uh, uh, in the media. But anyway, uh, again, I'm, I'm mentioning this to kind of set the groundwork of, of where we're going. What's What's happened is society has become ill. It's become sick. It's become degenerate. And we've, we've quoted Polybius as to why society is becoming degenerate is because it's becoming selfish. It, it is becoming content with living at the expense of others and depending upon others for their livelihood. And that's what socialism does. Um, I also read, when one of the people I read on the dark web in an intellectual dark web is uh, Michael Malice, uh, who is an anarchist who claims democracy, like communism, only works in theory. Uh, but uh, somebody said, but I say that even in theory, anarchism doesn't work. Well, the fact is, is all these systems of government, anarchism, communism, socialism, democracies, that's not what makes something work. What makes, you know, being a bit of a redneck and making lots of equipment work sometimes outside of its original intent of the designer, you know, just, you know, hooking things together and making them function uh, so that they actually work because of limited resources. Uh, I understand that what makes something work is the heart and soul of that thing. And that is only provided by the individual. Which goes back to, you don't need a majority in order to instigate change in in your universe, in your world. You need to light that candle. So that's what we're going to try to do, is take a look at some of the things that help light a candle and some of the things that bring darkness to avoid those dark paths Avoid those things that take you in the wrong direction. And uh, 
That's for an individual to decide, not masses. We'll be right back. So, continuing our discussion on structure of government, uh, one of the answers I, I sent back to the people having their discussion with the, the Michael Malice was, uh, which I kind of wonder, I wonder if that is his real name. <laughs> it's kind of an, uh, Ma- Michael Malice. But, uh, anyway, uh, all forms of government or non-government, which anarchism is non-rulers, it's not non-government, it's non-rulers, but all forms of government or non-government only work in theory. That's the only place they really work because that's not what makes a government work. The system, the form, isn't what makes it work. Because what makes the thing work is the heart and soul, the spirit of the people who populate that form of government. Seeking the kingdom of God is seeking the form of God, but it, it doesn't do you any good to go to church or to read the Bible or any of these things unless you are willing to receive the spirit of God. And that, another thing I posted was somebody was talking about free speech and I, I was looking at t- Twitter again, and I, I keep, every time I look at Twitter, I, I think, can anything good come out of Twitter? <laughs> there is so much, uh, so many, I see so many lost souls floundering around on Twitter. But I mean, it, it can have a place, but boy, it is not a solution. And of course, government is not the solution. And form of government is not the solution. The solution is that men must change. And you can't change other men unless you become some sort of a dictator. And chances are you'll ch- change them for the worst. The one person you can have an effect on and change is you. But you don't know how to change you into what you are not molded by yourself. We live in a created universe. In a world, whether you want to believe that we're created by evolution and the chance of chemistry, where this all just came about by accident, or whether there was a creator designer who is behind it all, as, which creates the patterns that we see. Whichever way you want to think about it, you can't create yourself. In neither one of those scenarios are you creating yourself. You must allow something else to have influence over you. Something greater than you. Where, whether it's the mass of creation and the stars and astrology or, or whatever, or if it is the divine spirit of God moving through the universe, you can't create yourself. Neither one of those scenarios, which are both probably inaccurate because of your image of God, when we have this image of God, most people who go to church, they don't actually worship God. They worship the image of God which they have created in their own minds or allowed somebody else to create in their minds. If you actually, and I think this is one of the things that Jordan Peterson might be stumbling on in his subconscious anyway, uh, is that he understands that people mostly just believe in an image of God that they create in their own mind and he doesn't want to create that image. He just knows that he, he needs to act as if God exists. 
and not try to put God into some sort of imagery or philosophy or ideology. That he just operates as if God exists and he struggles daily to figure out how he can get closer to that, those divine properties of righteousness that God claims to be the producer of. And so that's, that's really a very healthy place to be is to believe that I need to act as if God exists. I don't know what God is. I can't define God. I'm an, I'm a finite creature. How can I define an infinite entity that is God? I can't do it. It's beyond my capacity as a finite creature. All I can do is seek to do the righteousness of a righteous God. Whatever that is. And that's a daily desire and hope. He even uses the word hope. Hope is an important thing that a lot of us, you know, people who already think they're saved and they don't have to do anything to be saved. They just thought a thought and said some words and they saved themselves by saying these words. They live in their imagination. You know, that that does not really, in actuality, bring them any closer to the righteousness of God. God says, if you really believe in me, according to the Bible, if you really believe in me, you will keep my commandments. If you're having trouble keeping those commandments, that is evidence to you that you don't really believe in God. If you have become entangled again in the elements of the world and the elements of bondage in the world, then that is evidence to you that you're not really seeking the kingdom of God and His righteousness or haven't been successfully doing it because that's why you're, again, you've become merchandise and surety for debt and cursed your children with debt. All those things we can see, I can show you in the news. You have cursed your children with debt. I mean, we, I can probably find you a webpage that has a debt clock where it's, the numbers are just zooming by, going up and up and up and up and up and up, and your children will be expected to pay that back. That's pretty much a curse. That's a done deal. You have a new child and you think you know so much because you have a degree of knowledge and you think you believe in something that is greater than yourself, maybe. Maybe you don't even believe in God. But your your newborn child is in debt. And, and that debt is growing faster than that child can grow. How did you get in such a circumstance? If you were in the bondage of Egypt, you had to pay 20% of everything you produced to the government. And that was called bondage. But today you pay 20, 30, 40, 50, 60, 70 percent. I mean, just income tax might be 20 percent. Then there's property tax and there's sales tax. And uh, there's all these other taxes that are placed upon you. And that's because you're entangled again in the yoke of bondage. You're not a free people. That That's one of the things you also see on the intellectual dark web that people think they're still free. But they're in, they've covenanted 
with people who don't really believe in God, but believe in their own power. So, you know, we, we talked a lot in the last weeks about the New Deal and how the New Deal was the old deal and it was, uh, uh, it was the creation of literally the imperial cult of Rome in the United States and what you would call public religion. Social Security is a religious program. It's how you take care of the widows and orphans and needy of your society. That's, that's what pure religion was, was taking care of the orphans and needy and the widows of your society, unspotted by the constitutional orders and systems of government. That's what pure religion was. Well, the New Deal was the world providing for the widows and orphans of your society, not through free will offerings that they mentioned in the Old Testament, or the charity that Jesus and Paul talk about. But the New Deal was going to take care of the needy of your society through men who exercise authority and force the contributions of the people. This was going directly against John the Baptist and Jesus Christ. The New Deal was anti-Christ. Totally anti-Christ. And, as we examined and showed by people like uh, uh, Henry Morgenthau, who devised the plan, was instrumental in, in producing the plan, that it didn't work. It, it, it failed. And yet people are still coming out of college thinking the New Deal worked. We need to go back to that. No, it didn't. <laughs> and the evidence is overwhelming that it didn't. Yet people think they're going to solve some problems and they're laboring under these false assumptions. But you'll have to go back and listen to those other programs because uh, we're not going to go through all that. But one of the things Henry Morgenthau Jr., actually he was a junior, uh, did say is uh, never in history of the world has there been a situation so bad that the government can't make it worse. <laughs> so that was That was the guy who was probably one of the most instrumental uh, creators of the New Deal, uh, eventually came to that conclusion. He didn't have that when he was inventing the New Deal. But the New Deal was Nimrod's deal. It was Cain's deal. It was uh, the, the men who exercised authority were going to provide the welfare of the people by forcing the contributions of the people. In, in the, uh, Torqueville, which I, I said I was going to be talking more about Torqueville in the days to come because of the fact that he did this extensive s- study of uh, the democracy that he calls the United States. See, because the United States was a democracy from the beginning. The states were republics. And together when they confederated, the entire Americas was literally a republic. But the creation of the United States is clearly not creating a republic, but creating a democracy. You just read the instructions, read the Constitution. They're creating an indirect democracy. They're, but they are trying with the Constitution of limiting the power of that indirect democracy. And it was also prescribed in the Constitution, that it was to guarantee that Republican form of government that most people lived under, or in, or with, that was in America. 
But the United States itself is a democracy. It's not a republic. And uh, it's supposed to, like I say, protect a republic, guarantee that republic, but it also guarantees your right to contract. So if you abandon the principles of a republic, if you go down some of those dark paths that Peterson and God and Moses and Abraham have talked about, then you will curse your children and you will become merchandise. And of course, those dark paths are paths without light. That's all a dark path is, without light, without the wisdom. So, you know, if anybody, and I understand a lot of people, if you mention religion, if you mention the Bible, people, you know, begin to edge towards the door. And that's because modern Christianity and modern pastors and modern preachers, with their mamby-pamby ways, with their watered-down gospels, have absolutely devastated uh, the love and respect that you might have for these people that actually did produce liberty in the world during the decline and fall of the Roman Empire. I heard somebody referring to Gibbon's book as the rise <laughs> uh, of the Roman Empire, but it's actually the decline and fall of the Roman Empire. Uh it it wasn't the empire rising that he was writing about. It is how it declined. And of course, that's why we quote people 150 years before Christ, like Polybius, who explains why it will fall. And the fact is, we've gone down that dark path until society has become ill. And so we're going to look at a number of things before we're done with this section on the narcissistic nature of society. Uh, it's, we've really gone a long ways away from what was originally intended by people like Madison and even Jefferson, uh, and the anti-federalists. Uh, American people have fallen into the habit of expecting government to solve all problems, removing risks from their lives, you know, security, they wanted security. And providing for all their needs and wants. It is commonplace now for individuals to look to government. Rather than the family. Or even what this individual. This is actually Paul Ra. Uh, I probably got his name wrong. It's R-A-H-E. And he wrote. Uh, Soft Despotism. Uh, Democratic Drift. And he's. He's kind of reviewing, I think, Matthew Spaulding's uh, is the despotism that Torqueville feared inevitable. Because Torqueville wrote about the dangers of despotism coming out of this democracy in America. And he wrote this back in the 1840s. But he, he refers to, rather than look to family and civil society, I wouldn't use the word civil. And I saw somebody on the intellectual dark web and I, I called them out on it that talking about that we have to learn to be civil. Civil law is the law that men make for themselves. Natural law is also defined as divine will. It's also defined as right reason. These are synonymous phrases. Natural law, divine will, uh, right reason, that has nothing to do with the civil law. 
civil laws are created supposedly within that concept of natural law. But civil law is the law that men make for themselves. It's it's your social compacts that you create. If you take from somebody, you owe them back. It's like you have an absolute right to swing your fists all around you as long as you don't come into contact with somebody else's chin <laughs> or face or head or body because then you begin to infringe upon their rights. And as you judge that's okay, then they get to infringe upon your rights. That's why covetous practices make you merchandise. Because if you desire the sweat and toil of your neighbor, your neighbor gets to desire the sweat and toil of you. As you judge, so shall ye be judged. That's like the laws of physics. You can't change that. That's just there. And so what happens when you disregard that when you think that law is not in place, you are likely to go down the dark path because you have denied the truth of that law, that natural law of the universe, the mystery of the universe. It's only a mystery when you don't see it. That's why, you know, the mysteries of the universe, the secrets of the universe, they're all there. They're not secrets. They're only secret to you because you've chosen to live in the dark. You've chosen not to see that. If you want hope to come back into your life, you have to be willing to see the evil, the darkness of your own hearts. You have to be willing to walk into those dark chambers and bring light in to see them, willing to see them. So anyway, Rather than look to the family or the righteousness of society would, in my opinion, be a better way to phrase that. To relieve their most ordinary concerns, support their basic endeavors, and make good on the simplest injuries anticipated in daily life. Injuries like what? When somebody's swinging their arms around and they hit you in the face. Or they... You know, they want to be able to drive anywhere they want. And they run over your stuff and smash it and destroy it. What do you have to protect you from the that indiscriminate foolishness of others? Well, some people try to devise governments to protect them from that. And they give power to somebody who might be considered their neighbor to protect them from those injuries. The reality is, is that's your job. Every individual's job. As soon as you centralize that job into the hands of police or sheriffs or government, you have negated your responsibility to your neighbor. You need, this is why I have another article about hue and cry. The hue and cry of every man to the protection of every other man. If you desire to be protected by your neighbor, you must desire to protect your neighbor. And you don't desire to give the power, your responsibility of protecting your neighbor to somebody else. You maintain that responsibility. Now, how do you do that? Well, you can't do that practically in the universe unless you connect with your neighbor. Somebody sent me a 
story last night. One of our ministers sent me a story that he must have come across. It happened in Klamath County, and a guy went up to, you know, go out into the woods and live deliberately or whatever, you know, the Thoreau kind of survive off the land, get off the grid. And he ended up in a situation where he killed his neighbor. And it's a long story. It took me quite a while to read it, but I was waiting for somebody to return. <laughs> so I, I, it kept me awake reading this story. Um, but uh, he didn't have anybody to turn to. He kept dialing 911 and expecting the government to help him. And uh, it, it was, you know, it was short. You know, I'm a, I'm familiar with the sheriffs and the deputies, and as a matter of fact, some of the people mentioned in the story I know of. Uh, but uh, he he di- wanted to divorce himself and become this recluse and independent of society. And then when he was in trouble, when somebody was flailing their arms around about to kill him, he wanted everybody to come to his assistance. And he'd already gone down that dark path. He was totally dependent upon a disability check to even survive. And all it did was weaken him and weaken him and weaken him. He wanted to become this independent individual dependent upon a a disability check. And then when he needed help, he was dependent upon the sheriff's department. And he had no friends. It's because his life was not about setting others free. It was about freeing himself. That's a dark path to go down. That's not the path of Christ. That's not the path of Abraham. It's not the path of Moses. You have to love your neighbor as yourself. Now, the guy did go out and he helped neighbors and he would help other people a lot of times. But he also became this recluse. And cornered himself eventually so he could barely help anybody because of his desire to get away from everybody else. You don't want to get away from it. You want to go and help other people. You don't want to help them in a way that strengthens them. The way he went weakened him, made him more vulnerable, made him so that the sharks and wolves of the world were drawn to attacking him. And then nobody was drawn to saving him because he had isolated his own soul. You can't do that. Which is why we are told not forsake the gathering together. Why we need to gather together in the tens, hundreds, and thousands as commanded by Christ, as as advised by Jethro, as also implemented by Joshua, and clearly was a part of the building of the altars of Abraham for those who understand the altars of Abraham. And again, we have articles at Preparing You and and we're going to be spreading those articles around and putting them in a form where people can actually take a bite out of them. Uh, some of them are so meaty that people can't... And they have to come... They read these things and then they go away for a year or <laughs> two. And then they come back and they, it haunts them because they saw some truth in these articles. And they, they come back. You're not going to have the time to keep going away and then coming back. You need to start your personal journey towards the kingdom. And one of the ways to do that 
is to care enough about one another to gather in the tens, hundreds, and thousands. Which is why Jesus made it so important that you do. That he actually commanded his disciples to make the people organize themselves in that fashion. In groups of ten, in ranks of a hundred, and, and in that case, ranks of fifty. Because there were five thousand men in their families there in that group. And so they had to organize them. If there was ten thousand, he would have said in ranks of one hundred, <laughs> ranks of ten, and ranks of one hundred, and ranks of a thousand. Uh, because of the fact that the idea was to, everybody was coming together so that they would start to care about one another as much as they care about themselves. If you believe in Jesus, you have to believe in that. Because that's what he said. And you would be keeping his commandments and you would be doing that. But people resist that. You know why? One of the main reasons they resist that is when you have to come in contact with others, their light may shine in your darkness. They may, their mere presence, they don't even have to do anything overtly to, as a design. It's just going to come about. Their presence is going to expose your weakness. But as Paul says, in your weakness is your strength. And at least he said it about himself. And my weakness is my strength. Because you're willing to see your weakness. You're going to willing to see your faults. And that's kind of what we're, we're seeing in the whole Jordan Peterson phenomena. Is that he's talking about taking back responsibilities and looking at yourself and cleaning up your own area, your own room, your own life. Not go down the dark path. You can't change yourself, but you can be changed when you're willing to lay down your life for others. And you, in the beginning of that is to take a look at yourself. In Democracy in America, which is a book by Alex Tocqueville, uh, Tocqueville, I guess there's no R in that, uh, he warned of a tendency of democracies bent on bringing about equal results in all cases. And that's what we're going to talk about in the next section. How this idea of seeking equality is a very dangerous thing. But uh, we'll, we'll be back. Well, welcome back to Keys of the Kingdom. So we're going to be looking at uh, this uh, idea that uh, Tocqueville had of uh, the tendency of democracies bent on bringing equal results in all cases. And that wasn't a very strong tendency back then, but it's certainly in the news today where they're talking about equality of outcome. And we we, we have supposedly, this is what, you know, that the founders uh, of the United States government and the Declaration of Independence were thinking that there is an equal right to pursue happiness. But uh, that doesn't necessarily mean that we all start from the same place or that we all have the same abilities and that we should all have the same outcome of happiness. Nature does not give you a guarantee. It's not built into nature that there is some sort of internal right. Uh, Nature 
you know, I mean, almost everybody who is pursuing this idea of equality of outcome, if you ask them if they believed in evolution, the vast majority of them, if not all of them, will say, yes, they believe in evolution. Yet, their actions are constantly trying to thwart evolution. They're trying to, you know, evolution is about survival of the fittest. You adapt or die. And if you, if you have, if you're not as strong, you either get stronger or you compensate some other way. Uh, what, what will come about with this desire for supposedly equality of outcome is inequality. Because they will take away from those that have skills and give them to those who don't have skills or ability. For instance, the idea of some guy, male, that by nature has hormones uh, pulsing through his body that is giving him stronger bones, stronger muscles, uh, stronger lungs, stronger frame, that that guy is going to say, well, I think of myself as a girl, so now I get to compete with girls. And he's allowed to run races against girls. He's allowed to wrestle with girls. He's allowed to compete with them in, in uh, body contact sports, even though he has a decided advantage. He is not equal in any way, shape, or form. And yet they they want to allow him to compete. I mean, for for centuries... There has been weight classes in uh, in fighting, pugilism. Uh, that you know, if you if you weigh between, you know, I don't know where the classes break. I don't follow that, but uh, there are lightweights and there are mediums and heavyweights and etc. And you, in order to give an equal playing field, you don't put a 350 pound guy with a 150 pound guy. It's, it's, you're, you're, it's not fair. And, but in reality, in life, you know, how do you balance that unfairness? Well, there are essentials that you have to put forth that in your society to bring about any kind of equality. Personally, I think that equality of outcome as a pursuit, is fine. It's the tactics that are the problem. You know, I want everybody to be successful. I could even say I would like everybody to be equally successful. But how do I go about making that come about? The the answer is in the details. Uh, And the devil is also in the details. So, what is the solution? What is the kingdom solution to bring about this equality of outcome. Well, it isn't, it is certainly not taking away the rights of others to, to pursue happiness. You know, to putting others at a disadvantage. I mean, if you look at the situation of girls running races, and I actually know of cases where this is, is a reality, they're hoping for a scholarship based on the ability that they're the fastest girl in 10 counties. But then they they sit down to run the race and there are two guys in the race who say they think they're girls. They're going to walk away with a scholarship. 
you know, they're going to run away with a scholarship because they're going to outrun the girls because they have a decided advantage. That's not fair. That's not right. That's not equality. You know, the, the, those guys winning the race against the girls, had they competed with guys like themselves, they wouldn't have got the scholarships. But now they're supposedly going to get them because they beat the girls. So the very desire or claim to desire for equality is thwarted. They don't, the girls don't have an equal chance at the scholarship. That's taken away from them by guys simply because they say they feel like girls. And the injustice of that, people are blind to. The officials say, well, we, you know, the, the, everybody should have an equal opportunity. Oh, wow. <laughs> but they can't see it because they're blind, because they live in darkness. So, you know, that this is just, I'm just using this kind of an example of how, this is why Jesus was dealing with the same thing. That's why he has these quotes about blind guides. They live in darkness. They cannot see the truth. And you couple your faith with them. You couple your fate with them. And, you know, there's, you're not going to, you're not going to succeed. You're going to go down with their ship. In the tens, hundreds, and thousands, each congregation is not an unincorporated association or incorporated group. It's not an entity. It's just a gathering. And you're not just gathering with the ten, the nine other families that you gather with. You're gathering with thousands of families. Because it's not isolated little congregations. The congregation is the doorway to gathering with the hundreds and with the thousands. And you get to choose your minister. You get to choose your congregation. Of course, the more congregations you have, the more you have to choose from. But you're still master of your own fate because the candle you light is going to draw other people who are willing to see the truth to you. And the, and vice versa with other people. It's That's where the working out of your salvation with fear and trembling. All you have to do is light your candle and then seek the kingdom of God and His righteousness by gathering with other people and administering in a righteous fashion with them. You get to rebuke your ministers. You get to rebuke your brothers. But you gather with them. You don't abandon them. You sit down in the tens, hundreds, and thousands and you make that commitment. And that, that, in that environment, God will change you. It, it, he, and it will be a struggle because you will come, you will see your anger. You will see your impatience. You will see your intolerance in the imperfections of others. Because they will test the metal that you're made of. But if you abandon that pattern, that structure, then where are you? You're out there in the wilderness. You know, uh, claiming to be this entity unto yourself. 
No, that's the kingdom of God is about walking an individual walk together with others. You don't lose your individuality. You keep your individuality. But you lay down your arrogance, your loner pride to to be there for others, to be of service to others. This is changing the whole operation of your society by doing so. So, anyway, like I said, society has become ill and sick and selfish and it's been going down this dark path. And so, how can we look at this to bring these precepts into view for us as individuals? Well, let's look at individuals who are doing the same kind of thing. How they're uh, going this opposite direction, this other way. And one of the things they do is they become addicted to certain ways of thinking. And, and we see this manifested in the fact that alcohol addiction, tobacco addiction, drug addiction, uh, both to illegal and legal drugs, is pervasive in society. Because we have we are looking in the wrong places for answers. And of course, like I say, people are addicted to government. They, they, you know, this guy who was in the woods and ended up, uh, actually, I don't know if it was really in the woods, but in the wilderness, it was down near Bly in Klamath County. And he ended up in a situation where it was life and death and he ended up killing somebody. And, uh, his perception of reality, he was ill-equipped for. He could have become more equipped, but he became dependent upon the government. And I've seen this. In many cases, we have a lot of people that come out here and are kind of recluses. And they become dependent uh, upon things that they should not depend upon. And they shun things that they need to go out and be involved in. Uh, so anyway, the, this problem of dependence upon government... Uh, and, you know, like your disability check and the cops coming and saving you and, and not becoming a valuable asset in your own society is a real problem. I, I actually, you know, I've, over the years I've helped out lots and lots of people and I've been there for lots and lots of people and we get praise from lots and lots of people, but we also a little bit separate from a lot of people because they, they don't want to gather in the tens, hundreds, and thousands. They are, they are looking to their local congregations or their local groups or their local cliques uh, for that social support that uh, is so important in a, in a gregarious uh, humanity. We are gregarious by nature. We need other people. Uh, and some people, even this guy who was going off and living as a loner, he had certain relationships with people uh, in his life. They were distant and not very productive because they weren't involved on a day-to-day basis because he was living out in this trailer out in the wilderness. I mean, what was... And, and their fondness for pets often is an uh, interesting side bit where they have some pet that they is extremely close and they have this relationship with a dog or a cat or or some sort of other animal uh, instead of relationships with people because the animals are not judgmental because they fear judgment. They they don't like being judged by others. Uh, 
this is this coming together in the tens, hundreds, and thousands exposes you to the judgment of others. You know, you you can't maintain the facade when you sit down with a variety of other people. It it's going to become uncomfortable. But if you care about those other people, you will show up and be there. But we're addicted to our own vanity and our own pride as well. And government lends itself to that. You can get your disability check will just automatically come. You don't even have to talk to anybody. It just will come. Your social security check. Whatever. But that you're already in the final stages of death by addiction. When you get to the, that point, you have to go way back to the origins. And one of the things that we see in this society is this rise of uh, narcissism. And that has its roots that go way back. And we'll, we'll give you some statistics on narcissism. I'm going to come back to uh, some of the things that Tocqueville has said. But uh, there, there was a study... Uh, prevalence correlates disability and uh, co- comorbidity in the DSM-4 narcissistic personality disorder <laughs> results from the Wave 2 National Epidemiological Survey on Alcohol and Related Conditions. That's the name of the study. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> that whole thing is the name of the study. But it's talking about narcissistic personality disorder. And they they went out and they interviewed some 34,653 adults participating in this Wave 2 National Epidemiological (laughs) Survey. And it involved uh, uh, alcohol and other related conditions. Uh, but they were specifically looking at this NPD, this narcissistic personality disorder. Now, one of the things when you're talking about, uh, uh, things like, uh, uh, DSM, that's a diagnostic service manual, I think is what that stands for. And there's a four and a five. And, and what it is, is in order to make money as a psychologist, you have to, uh, uh, create all these diseases like narcissistic personality disorder and uh, uh, Asperger's and all these different, uh, you know, uh, uh, types of maladies. And then you categorize them and you list off symptoms. And, you know, nobody sneezed on a, on an elevator and you got the narcissistic personality disorder from them sneezing. It's not like it's an actual disease. It's It's made up. And to some degree, I can understand that they make these things up so that you can talk about them or somebody can talk about them. Uh, but uh, the reality is all these things have the same source. In our shows recently, we were talking about vices and virtues. And there's, there's supposedly seven basic vices and seven basic virtues. And the vices are simply the absence of virtue. And all the virtue is dependent upon unselfishness, selflessness, and all the vices are manifestations of selfishness. <laughs> so, so there's really only, you're either selfish or you're not selfish. 
You either put yourself first over others or you love others equal to yourself. If you don't love others equal to yourself, you will manifest vice because you lack virtue. Virtue is loving others equal to yourself. So, narcissistic personality disorder is just over there on the vice side of the equation. You're missing something, and therefore you're narcissistic. So, uh, you know, and I've written about, uh, I have articles up on a number of other things. Uh, There's a, a lot of these strange diseases that have been around, and we have a whole section on the mind and how the mind works, and and how it doesn't work and what what really you know we should be looking at or not looking at and uh I was gonna look here I was trying to think of a couple I thought I, well I, we have an article up on schizophrenia people are actually being cured of schizophrenia and one of the first things that they have to do to be cured of schizophrenia is get off drugs i wouldn't say it is the first it's just one of the first what they actually need is to develop relationships with people who actually care about them in a non-judgmental way. That's one of the essential things. And But what causes schizophrenia? Where does it come from? A variety of things. And uh, there's another, other, a uh, couple other uh, different uh, maladies that come up. The, the problems with the, the mind and how to recover and drug addiction and I have an article, Are You Crazy? and, and, uh, these different, uh, uh, maladies that come up like schizophrenia or capgras or catards. Catards is where, I mean, it's a bizarre, it's a bizarre relationship that you develop where you actually, they, they talk about the walking dead syndrome. Where you think you're dead. Like, you know, like those guys who are running the race against the girls and they think they're girls. It's, it's a delusion. They're not girls. They're not women. They're not female. It, but they're uncomfortable with their maleness, so they want to think that they're girls. And so they go out and beat girls in races and this makes them feel good? I don't know. I don't know. It's bizarre. What happens? But catards is bizarre. Because catards, you think you're dead. Or you maybe think a part of your body is dead. Or you, or your arm is not you. And so therefore you want to have a surgeon remove your arm. It's perfectly functioning. It works. There's no illness with it. But they want their arm amputated because it's not their arm. It's dead to them. And that's not much different than the transgenders who want certain parts of their body cut off or, you know, uh, biologically removed or uh, chemically removed by taking hormone replacements and uh, and all this stuff. They're damaging good healthy bodies, either chemically or surgically, because they're uncomfortable with it, you know. And catards, like I said, is this walking corpse syndrome is another official name for it. And this actually plagues certain people. It's, it's rare, but it does exist. And it is, you know, I mean, it was named back in the 1800s. Uh, it was named after Jules Catard, who, who described this delirium of negation. 
where you you think that some part of you is not you. And really, the transgender people are simply, it's a form of catard. They're uncomfortable with the reality that is them. And they want to change it. Uh, surgically or chemically or whatever. And uh, it's it's a syndrome. It's a delusion. It's a disorder. It's it's they're not well. They are ill. We don't have to condemn them, but what is the cause of that illness? Now there could be a variety of causes. There, there's another uh, uh, deal which I've actually dealt with a number of people now. I'm amazed at how many people. Uh, but it's Capgras, and Capgras is uh, a, also a syndrome. It's a misidentification syndrome where you think that the closer somebody is to you, you think that they are not them, that they're a lookalike, that, uh, you know, we've had people wake up in the hospital and they don't recognize their family. I mean, they do recognize them. They know that this looks just like my mother and my father and my brother, but it's actually not them. It's somebody else. And they actually try, you have to put guards on them and, and guard them so they don't try to escape from the hospital. Because they, uh, they don't recognize them as them. They, they know they look like them, but they think they're either aliens or possessed or, uh, some sort of, uh, you know, depends on their, their syndrome manifests itself in a variety of different ways based on them. But it is because part of their brain has been disconnected. The part that rec- that they normally receive an endorphin rush, it's all chemistry because of the fact that they recognize their mother, their father, their brother, their sister, and this gives them a certain feeling because they rec- and the closer they are, the more vulnerable they are when there's damage to the part of their brain that connects them with that individual. You know, connects their recognition of that individual. And uh, it can be done, The one of the classic cases, somebody had the part of their brain damaged by a motorcycle accident, where he actually had part of his brain had to be removed because of... In another case, it was an infection, uh, you know, high fever. Um, it often today, I think one of the reasons why we see it more often today is because... Certain uh, drugs that people take, amphetamines, can damage that part of your brain. It can disconnect that part of your brain. Methamphetamines. Uh, so anyway, we have an article up on Capgras with videos that explain how that all works. But the, if we're talking about actual, those, those are actual damages that bring about these syndromes. Because of either chemistry or accident or fevers or disease or whatever. Uh, and it can bring about these delusions. All these delusions are not brought about that, by that. And it can be a combination of things that bring about these things. But if we go back to this idea of narcissism, which is, you know, about 6% of the people in the United States are diagnosed with narcissism. I mean, as a disability. There's elements of narcissism in probably uh, more than half of the people, in, at least at one time or another, in the United States. But as a diagnosed delusion 
or disorder, personality disorder, where it becomes debilitating. That's over 6%, at least from this survey. Now, that's another thing. I came across a study that said that children that are raised in homes uh, where there is a religious component or are more selfish than children who are raised in homes where there is no religious component. And so they say, why is that? And, and they go through this big home study. But you have to take a look at the studies. You have to read these things in the context. You know, and I, I just put up uh, a connection to a, a couple of studies and I have, I can give you the connection to some of these other studies. The reality is most of the people that are charitable are people with a religious background and a religious component in their lives. That's where most of the charity comes from. From the people who are agnostic or, uh, or atheists, you don't, you have a decidedly less amount of charity coming from them. I mean, statistically, that's a fact. So you have to look at how they put these studies together. And we'll look at narcissism and why it's on the rise, why it's epidemic proportions in America and in the world today when we come back to Keys of the Kingdom. So welcome back. So even though this is a series on the structure of society or of governments or self-governing societies, whatever way you want to look at it, uh, we have to get down to the individual because, like I said in the previous shows, the problem isn't the government. The problem is us. And you look at all these people that are see that there's a problem and they're all trying to sol- find solutions and their own pet solutions. And the problem is is that they need to look at themselves. And not that they're, they're, they cannot see the forest for the trees. They cannot see the trees for the forest. They cannot, it's the, they need to see themselves. They need to look at themselves. And so when we talk about narcissism, it's really the same as when we talk about vice, there's one cause. And it's the same cause for narcissism as it is for, uh, dysthymia, which is persistent depression disorders. Uh, bipolar, PTSD, schizophrenia, uh, and all these different variety of categorized personality disorders really have something in common. And the solution is, is common to all of them as well. Once you see the very, very, very root cause in humanity that you can begin, wherever you're at, whatever your problem is, you can begin to heal if you take a look at that root cause and are willing to see that, light that candle to see that problem. Now, your particular problem, it may fall under all these different categories, but it's kind of like in the Exorcist movie. I always, it rings true to me, even though I've seen it, you know, half a century ago. The, the story is, is, you know, the, the, the one priest is counting. He says, I think there's seven demons in her. And uh, the, the Exorcist says, there's only one. Yet there were multiple, yet there's only one. My name is Legion, but there's only one that you're dealing with. One problem. And uh, it's the problem of light versus darkness. So if you bring light in, all these problems, no matter what category you put them in, (laughs) they begin to dissipate and dissolve away. Just like the darkness dissolves with the lighting of a single candle. So whatever it is that you need to see in yourself, it may vary from person to person, but it's light that you need to bring. 
And another e- equation, this is why uh, I talk about love. You don't love anybody more than the person you love the least. And the reason I say that is to bring your attention to love as a utility, as a current that flows through you. Love is not a feeling or a fancy. I've said this just recently, and I'll say it again and again probably. But love is not uh, simply affection. Certainly you can have more affection for this person than for that person. But that's not what real love is. Love as a utility is a current of energy. It's like that light. I mean, what color is the candle? Uh, you know, we can say, well, I see some yellow, I see some orange, I see some white, I see some blue. But really, it's light. Yeah, there are different frequencies, but it's light that is the key. Uh, not the, uh, not the details of that light, but just that there is light. So anyway, this, uh, one of the things that in the study that came out is that of these 34,000 people that they examined with actual face-to-face uh, conversations, uh, 6.2% was the rate of people that actually had narcissistic personality disorder. Now, that doesn't mean that there weren't a large number of people that had elements of that, but could actually be diagnosed according to all the specific diagnostic categories or or elements. One interesting statistic that came out of this is 7.7% were men, which is higher than the women, which was only 4.8% were women. So men have a higher element of narcissism as a personality disorder than women you know that yet women are very men are very visual in their uh, sexuality they the image of a woman arouses them well women presenting that image gives them power yet women don't seem to be plagued with this narcissism as much which is narcissism you know comes from you know, the Greek guy who fell in love with his own reflection. You know, it, when you're talking about characteristics of uh, uh, gay and gender identity problems, that, that statistics may change. What I found interesting is that there was a significant prevalence amongst black men and black women and Hispanic women, not Hispanic men, Hispanic women, that the numbers also were significantly increased. So why would that be? And so understanding, now again, we're, we're not trying to diagnose this based on race or sex or anything. We're trying to find out what is actually the primary cause of this narcissism because the primary cause of narcissism is the same primary cause of persistent depression or PTSD or bipolar. Now, the actual historical events in your life may be different. But the the principal precepts and cause are the same. So anyway, this uh, mental disability among men, but not amongst women, is interesting. You know, where it's more men than women. Why would that be? And uh, the same, uh, you know, they actually tried to remove 
certain people from the study, which is going to enhance some of these statistics, that had uh, what they call uh, comorbidity, which is more than one problem. You know, they're also bipolar, or they also have PTSD, or they also have uh, schizophrenia. Uh, they didn't want to look at them. They just, well, they did in the overall test, but when they're dealing with the MPD, they wanted to gather those statistics from people who did not have these multiple uh, disabilities. Well, the reality is, is that there is only one disability. <laughs> and that is that you're not in touch with reality. And the way in which it manifests itself, uh, so that can skew the statistics right away, is when you're saying, well, we're not going to count people that are both bipolar and narcissistic. Because those, those divisions are created by arbitrary uh, diagnostic elements, you know, where the, there really isn't any difference. They're the same root cause. So it's going to skew the statistics. But anyway, with, rather than get too caught up in this diagnostic and statistical manual of mental disorder uh, conclusions, let's just look at the, uh, at this, you know, what they call the treatment for narcissistic personality disorder. They recommend pharma, uh, pharmacotherapy and psychotherapy. Well, pharmacotherapy involves drugs. And so drugs are actually usually drugging a part of your brain, disconnecting part of your brain, bringing a part of your thoughts into darkness. <laughs> so they're going to cure the lack, the disorder caused by a lack of light by creating more darkness. And uh, that's actually, you know, what they're doing is, is a lobotomy, uh, which used to be a, a very common, you know, we have uh Are You Crazy article that talks about lobotomy. Uh, we have lots of lobotomies. You cut yourself off from the things that make you aware of the problem and you think you don't have the problem anymore. This is what people do when they can't stay in a congregation of 10 connected with congregations of 100, you know, because you're connected with 10 other congregations of 10 or 9 other congregations of 10. You're lobotomizing yourself by isolating yourself. That's what the guy did in Klamath County is he lobotomized himself from society by cutting him off from society, which was a source of discomfort for him, from him and tried to re regulate his relationships with society. So he's actually going into darkness to get away from the light. And this is what you're doing when you isolate your congregations and isolate yourself from other people. You have to go and deal with other people in order to deal with yourself. Contrary to those two, pharmacotherapy and psychotherapy, there is another thing that has shown very positive effects to the mental health of individuals. And that's meditation. Well, what is meditation? Well, there's lots of different kinds of meditation. We have articles up on that. There are meditations that are actually lobotomizing you because they're occupying part of your brain so that you can't think about certain things. They're trying to numb your brain, numb the input that comes through your brain 
so that and and when you see people doing certain types of these meditations you'll also a lot of times find them wanting to use hallucinogenics and drugs and 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 all these kinds of things not the way to go the meditation the real meditation the valuable meditation and meditation is just an exercise there's nothing magical about it is about observation of self and you can use certain techniques that allow you to see yourself and it's not a matter of effort what happens is that you're getting certain things out of the way so that yourself actually bub- bubbles up you actually see your hidden emotions your hidden thoughts and they bubble up and you get to confront them and see them meditation without the interaction with other people on a day-to-day basis will have little value as a matter of fact it can become a drug and addiction in itself so and but we're not going there either we're going to continue to look at this uh uh, 6% of the U.S. population with this narcissistic personality disorder which is if you started counting all the other disorders you know the PTSD and the and the uh, uh, chronic uh, uh, depression and and all the and bipolar and all these other things, uh, you start realizing that these are all the same things. But we're looking specifically at narcissism, which usually has one of the symptoms is a, a grandiosity, a feeling of entitlement, either overt or covert, self. Uh, uh, centeredness, condescension towards others, even while being superficially charming in some situations. So they can, they can be a bit of a sociopath as well, but, uh, they, they think very highly of themselves and they have this sense of entitlement. Uh, they do seek attention and, and attempt to attract and, and, uh, be the focus of attention of others. And look for the admiration of others, uh, because that reinforces their narcissism. Uh, the impairment in personality functioning, which is why, you know, I say that narcissist, people who are falling under the 6% diagnostic narcissistic disability, they, they have to be so bad that it actually impairs their personality function to a noticeable diagnostic level. So there's a lot of people that have these narcissistic tendencies and they may be higher at some times and lower at other times, but they have to have this consistent personality uh, disorder that causes a, an impairment of the functioning within society. And what people do to avoid the realization of that impairment is they avoid the situations that produce the evidence of that impairment. They won't gather in the tens, hundreds, and thousands because when I gather with this group, I become impatient, I become jittery, and I want to get out of there, or I always get into an argument, or and you'll have um, wives that uh, don't want you to come to events because you're going to bring up religion, <laughs> and then I will become uncomfortable. You need to deal with whatever is making you feel uncomfortable. That was one of the things in meditation is that I've known people and I've talked about this who stop meditating because they realize they were meditating for the wrong reason 
while they were meditating. In other words, they realized they had the wrong motive in them because they were meditating, so they stopped meditating. Why? Because you don't feel comfortable realizing that your motives are not pure. And you go back to what we talked about with Jordan Peterson as he realizes that his intentions are not pure. He doesn't want to be considered good. He's willing to accept the fact that he's not good and he wants to see where he's not good so that he can desire hope to be better. This is a key element. And, 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 and so people who are trying to, uh, help you avoid your weaknesses so that you don't have to look at them are actually doing you a disservice. So, what are some of the other symptoms that we see that uh, come with this narcissism? If from a symptomatic point of view, persistent bullying. Uh, behaviors such as making fun of or threatening or degrading or scapegoating people. Uh, another item is uh, need to win. They don't like to lose. I, I, I tell the story about, you know, my own family is very competitive. They just, they, they don't, you know, um, my early family, not my family now, although there's some competitive nature in them now, that's less, I think, in my family than it was in the family that I grew up in. They were very competitive. And they didn't like not winning. <laughs> but I wasn't that way. My wife is not that way. So we didn't pass that on. That We probably passed on other faults, but that wasn't one of them. Persistent lying. To benefit oneself. Bragging about oneself. That's not a good thing. Seeing things, enhancing the truth about oneself. E- egotistical view of uh, extraordinary self-worth. I mean, you think, and this is one of the, back to the degree of knowledge. You get a college degree and you think you're so smart. And they give you the degree like the scarecrow and you know you've got the diploma and so you must be really smart and i always remember a story of a guy who was a you know engineer and he went to work for a uh, steel factory and there were three other guys or two two other guys that were hired at the same time it might have been three but at least two other guys hired at the same time and they all graduated from major universities two of them graduated from the same university One came in and was just overwhelmed at the wisdom and intelligence and nuances of understanding uh, by the old school guys who were making this molten steel and how they had this sixth sense about looking at, you know, a giant vat of molten steel and saying, you know, that needs a couple more tires. And they'd go into a back room and pull out a couple old tires and throw them into the vat where they just flamed up immediately and molted into the vat. <laughs> and uh, he thought, like, how do they know? <laughs> and they would, of course, he was bringing in all the science tests and everything. But he was amazed at what they had accomplished. And he was always looking at and o- overcome by the fact that he thought all these guys had so much to offer. The other guys came in thinking they knew it all. 25 years later, guess who was running the show and guess who was not to be seen? It was the guy 
who thought that everybody had something to offer. And he was trying to learn what these guys knew, not from college, but from experience. And he he stayed. And that's one of the characteristics you find in 12 Rules of Peterson. And I only point that out because he's on to something. And I think it's amazing that he has developed such a huge following. These people have a lot of kingdom awakenings in their uh, their approach to problems. They're looking at themselves. They're dealing with themselves. They're changing the way in which they walk through life. So anyway, uh, and they're not, they're going to stop lying about themselves and start seeing themselves as they really are. And that again is why you want to gather in the tens, hundreds, and thousands. Because you won't get away with lying with nine other people there. They're going to call you out. Or just, just if they see you say something that's not true, they see it's not true, they don't even have to say something. The light is in the room. This is the mystical effect it has when you begin to see. Maybe maybe there was a glint in their eyes and you knew I didn't get away with that. <laughs> and you either see it or you flee the congregation. You say, I'm not going back there. They make me feel too uncomfortable. Not a good reason to stop going. And when they're making you feel uncomfortable, that might be a good reason to be there. Because they're making you feel uncomfortable with yourself. You need to be comfortable with everybody. Because you need to be comfortable even if you walked into hell itself. And hell will feel uncomfortable, not you. Uh, egotistical view of extraordinary self-worth. Uh, preoccupation with getting own need met over other people's. What is that? That's the antithesis of love thy neighbor as thyself. Care about others as much as you care about yourself. You see, this is, now we're getting down when we're looking at these symptoms. We probably won't get to the solutions in this show. We'll do that with this afternoon. But the the common problem is that you don't care about others as much as you care about yourself. And you can't do that silently in a pew with a thousand other people. You can only do that in the tens, hundreds, and thousands because you have to turn your care into actual actions. You can't help 999 people. You can help one person, two people, maybe nine people. Hopefully not everybody in your congregation needs that much help. But that is one of the keys to the kingdom. And you can't use that key unless you walk into that congregation and remain faithful to its mission, which is as described by Christ and John the Baptist, to seek the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Entitled attitude, which leads to acting as if they deserve special treatment and to get whatever they want, no matter uh, the circumstances. The guy out in the woods wanted the sheriff to drop everything in a gigantic county, where our county is even bigger, and drive all the way out. You can't even get out there half the year because the there's no plow. We're not talking about roads. We're talking about almost trails. And get out there and save him. His neighbors, he didn't even know if he could trust his neighbors because he had isolated himself so long that he, he didn't even have people he could go to. There were people who eventually showed up during his trial after trial. Um, but uh, still... They, if they had been 
doing the tens, hundreds, and thousands, the threat would have never existed and the murder would have never probably had to have taken place. But people isolate themselves. And this is forsaking the coming together. So you don't want that entitled attitude. You want to care about others as much as you care about yourself. Aggressive responses to being criticized. Well, of course, that's what led to the shooting and the the destruction of the guy who was murdered and the destruction of the life of the guy who, I say, murdered, killed. Uh, There's still a question as to, you know, the circumstances, complex story. Repetitively blaming others for bad outcomes. And that's what we see pervasive in society today. It's the government's fault. It's the Democrats' fault. It's the Republicans' fault. It's it's the Russians' fault. Uh, it's always somebody else's fault. It's not people taking responsibility for their circumstances, their actions, and their relationships with others. So, the last uh, in this particular list is, and being much more competitive than cooperative. And this is, you know, I've, I've told stories before about how, you know, when, you, when you're playing with children, do you have to beat them? Do you have to win at Monopoly when you're playing with children? <laughs> do you want to help them? And then, aren't we all children of God? Why are you trying to win over others? Because that's kind of a repeat of that desire to win. So what are the solutions? We're not going to be able to cover that. But that's where I've gotten to. In, uh, uh, and, and how you teach those solutions is a big thing too. How you implement them in your life. And if we look at them in greater context of the tens, hundreds, and thousands, how will that translate out? Well, we'll have to do that in the next show of Keys of the Kingdom. And uh, until then, peace on your house, and may God be with you. See you on the network. God bless. You have been listening to The Keys of the Kingdom with Brother Gregory of His Holy Church. For more information on the educational ministry provided by His Holy Church and Brother Gregory, including services, counseling, lectures, books, and other audio materials, please write to His Church at Summer Lake, Box 10, Summer Lake, Oregon, 97640. You can also find us on the web at www.hisholychurch.net. Thank you.